The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. It's man-to-man coverage. This is the PFT PM Podcast. And now, your host, Mike Florio. Friday edition of the PFT PM Podcast. Wasn't able to do one earlier this week. I apologize. I hang my head in shame. Well, I have to be able to speak into the microphone. If I wasn't speaking in the microphone, I would hang my head in shame. The good news is that Chris Sims has agreed to do a podcast every Tuesday. Every Tuesday until he decides that he's bored with it. But at least for now, we'll have a good time every Tuesday. We'll answer some of your questions. We will talk about whatever we want to talk about. And the language could be as life is rated R. Some of the news going on in the NFL, it's kind of a bloodletting today. The Friday before the start of free agency, the Friday before the start of the new league year, some guys getting cut, some guys getting traded. And remember, the trades don't happen until the new league year begins. The big news, Michael Bennett, the former Buccaneer, former who all has he played for? He's played for the Bucks. He's played for the Seahawks. He's played for the Eagles. He's played, well, got to conjugate that properly, will soon be playing for the Patriots. When I think Michael Bennett and Patriots, I think Super Bowl Forty-Nine, the Do Your Job NFL Films production, and it was clear that the Patriots, now it will have been five years ago, but they were obsessed with stopping Michael Bennett. They had... A ton of respect for Bennett. I don't know what he has left in the tank five years later, but we will see that that funky little kid shoulder pads thing that has his shoulder entirely exposed so they can't hold his pads. We'll see that ensemble this year for the Patriots, assuming he makes the team, assuming he makes the roster, assuming he's on the field. He may not be able to, to make it in New England. And he will be treated like anybody else. And if he gets along, he goes along. He's on the team. If he plays well enough, they'll they'll make decisions regardless of who he is, regardless of what he's done. The Eagles get a 2025th rounder from the Patriots in exchange for Bennett and a 2027th rounder from the Eagles. So the compensation isn't all that much. And if it works, they'll be happy to keep him. If it doesn't work, then Michael Bennett will not be a Patriot for very long that's one trade that is going to happen the the trade that didn't happen but was close unless it wasn't what a weird day that was and I asked Ian Rappaport if he wanted to come on this afternoon and talk about how we got to the point where there was a report that a trade between the Steelers and the Bills for Antonio Brown was close that was 11:28 p.m. Eastern when he tweeted that by 3 a.m. Eastern Just three and a half hours later, there were multiple reports that a deal wasn't close. What really happened? I think Rappaport has dug into the idea that his report was true 
at the time he said it, at the time he tweeted it, and that at some point between 11.28 p.m. Eastern Thursday night and 3 a.m. Eastern Friday morning, at some point in that three-and-a-half-hour window, something happened. That seems to be his story. And that Brown didn't want to play for the Bills. And or the Bills didn't want to pay Brown what he wants. Regardless, it's hard to distance yourself from an erroneous report, even if there's a perfectly good explanation for it. Trust me, I've been trying for 12 years to get past killing Terry Bradshaw, even though it wasn't even our report. At a certain point, you just have to own it. And one thing I've noticed, now look, 2007, I made the mistake of running with a report coming from either a TV or radio station or both out of Shreveport, Louisiana, Terry Bradshaw's hometown. There was somebody who had died in an accident on a road that they call the Terry Bradshaw Passway. That became a report on one of the local media outlets that Terry Bradshaw had passed away. All I had to do was contact Fox, and they could have told me he has not passed away, which I did within minutes after I posted the initial blurb, Terry Bradshaw dead, question mark. And then where I screwed up, I posted a second story instead of just changing the first one. Bottom line is, 12 years later, I still own it. And you can fight it or you can have a good time with it. We killed Terry Bradshaw. I don't know how long this is going to stick to Ian Rappaport. We'll see. We'll see what kind of harassment he gets from social media and elsewhere moving forward for trading Antonio Brown to the Bills prematurely even though he may have a perfectly good explanation for it, and even though he may have been right. Maybe it was close at 11.28 p.m. Eastern. I don't know. But there really isn't accountability when one of us gets something wrong. Whether it's a national reporter, whether it's a team-based beat writer working with one of the newspapers, if there are newspapers anymore, and I guess they are, even though they're more online than anything. Let me just say this. I used to read USA Today... Every day. I remember discovering it in the early 80s. I think it debuted 82, 83. I was finishing up high school. You see this thing, it's colorful. It's so different than any newspaper you're used to. And of course, because it was a threat to the establishment that was in place at the time, the establishment looked down its noses at USA Today. Too simplified in its, in its text the stupid little graphics. People made fun of that. People made fun of it because they were part of the business and they were threatened by it because it was horning in on everyone's turf. It was a national newspaper that was providing people an alternative to whatever your local paper was and whatever market you lived in. But you know what? I read it. I read it and I liked it. And I actually learned how to write in part by reading that damn newspaper every day. That was the way I kept up with what was going on in the world. Every freaking day. I didn't feel right if I didn't read it. From 1982 until 2000, really 2008, 2009. Because when I was practicing law, that was part of my routine. You get a coffee, get USA Today. I'd read it before I really got down to work with my legal stuff. And if I didn't finish reading it at the office, I'd take it home and read it at night. End up checking out everything in there at some point. I was in the back of a car yesterday. And the driver had USA Today, and I picked it up, and there's nothing to it. It's $2 now. I remember it was $0.25. Cents. I remember it was a big deal when it went from $0.25 to $0.50. Cents. used to be drop a quarter, and you got a USA Today. 
I mean, I remember vividly in 1986, the day that the verdict came in in the NFL-USFL trial. I remember reading about it the next day, because that's how the world was then, at, you know, wherever I was eating lunch. I was in college, and I was reading the USA Today. It was summertime. I was in summer classes that year, and reading about the USFL and the NFL. I mean, I... I and it was, I think at the time it was 25 cents. At some point it went to 50. Then it went to 75. Now it's $2 and you don't get anything. Who the hell buys it? Who buys it other than people who feel compelled to have reading material around for someone? I would never buy it now. There, there would be nothing that they could have on the headline. It could say on the front page, meaning of life on page 5C. And I would not buy it. I wouldn't even pick it up. There's nothing in the USA Today or really any newspaper that I can't already find on my phone, on my computer. I don't know how, but how are we getting down this rabbit hole? Anyway, newspapers, online, TV, broadcast, the people who chase news for and on behalf of these publications that cover the NFL. If you get something wrong, you just keep your head down and you move on. I thought it was very telling this week when Adam Schefter was on Pardon My Take and they pressed him, Big Cat and PFT Commenter, my internet son, pressed Schefter on that report from a couple of weeks ago when the Robert Kraft stuff hit the fan that Kraft isn't the biggest name to be ensnared in this solicitation of prostitution ring. Schefter eventually just kind of shrugged. First, he tried to make a joke. Well, there were some financial guys. Oh, and that's not a big name? Well, it's, it's definitely not Robert Kraft. It wasn't really funny. I mean, I don't know how much of a sense of humor Schefter has. I've seen him try to trot it out before. And I know oh, you're not funny either, Florian. I know. I get it. You can, you can call. I don't care. Schefter's not funny. He tries to be funny every once in a while. It's rare because he just isn't. He has no sense of humor. So he tried to roll out this joke that fell flat. And then he eventually basically said shit happens. That was kind of his attitude. Hey, you know, people tell us things and sometimes they come to fruition and sometimes they don't. Well, that's a hell of a reason and a hell of excuse and a hell of an explanation to give for sparking all sorts of speculation that drew plenty of names unnecessarily into the national discourse because it was a big deal. He blurts it out on TV that Robert Kraft isn't the biggest name in this investigation. Meanwhile, there is no bigger name in the investigation. Well, you know, sometimes people tell us things that come to fruition and sometimes they don't. Well, that's part of our job. I, I have one source who is in position to get me information on a wide variety of topics. And every once in a while, he will brag about his batting average. And I'll say, look, anything less than a thousand isn't acceptable. Oh, when was the last time I got one wrong? Well, I don't know. I can't remember without thinking of it, but it was a big freaking deal when you did. That's for damn sure. It isn't about when was the last time I got one wrong. It's about I can't afford to let you get one wrong. I can't afford to trust you if you're wrong. And you, you have to figure out who you can trust. There are certain people who when they tell you something, you take it to the bank. There are certain people when they tell you something, you wait to find it out from someone else. So, I don't know who Schefter was talking to, but somebody fed him fake news. Somebody fed him a line of shit, and he went with it, and he was wrong. Does that mean that you shouldn't trust anything he says? No, because most of the time what happens is he's getting this stuff straight from the horse's mouth five minutes before it's otherwise announced. And that's fine. That's his gig. That's what gets him going. I want to be able to report to you what's happening five minutes before you're otherwise going to find out. 
Real journalism, in my view, and I know that some disagree with me and I really don't care. My opinion is, and no one's going to change it, journalism is finding out things that they don't want us to know and weren't otherwise going to tell us. That's journalism. And in this business, there isn't much real journalism practiced. And you know what? Hey, if you want to follow a Twitter, I follow Shefty, right? You get, because then that tells us what to go out and write. And we try to get it up as soon as possible. And we know that he's going to have it five minutes before because he maintains those relationships. And and that's where, you know, we talked a lot this week about conflict of interest with Charlie Cashley and Kyler Murray and getting combine prospects ready for their interviews. And Casserly gets paid to do it by over 100 guys a year, and clearly Murray isn't one of his clients, and there's no way he would have crapped on Murray's combine interviews if Murray was one of his clients. There's conflicts of interest throughout this business. But, well, and look, I mean, reporters who work for NFL Network have an inherent conflict of interest that, of course, you're not allowed to talk about because people get pissed at you when you do, but I don't care about that either. But Schefter creates the right type of relationship so he'll have somebody or multiple people with every team who will tell him who will contact him proactively and give him that heads up when there's a signing when there's a trade coming and he wants all of them he doesn't want most he doesn't want half he wants all of them and it torments him you know this Michael Bennett thing he didn't report Michael Bennett eventually being traded to the Patriots that I'm sure tormented Shefty that he didn't get that one. He's probably pissed at somebody in New England, whoever his hookup is in New England, that, that, that he didn't get the heads up that this is coming. And and look, hey, if if you if it torments you not to have 100% of him and it gets you 85% of him, then I guess that's good. But I think he obsesses over the 15. Anyway, anyway, I, I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. This all goes back to Ian Rappaport going with the idea that a trade between the Bills and the Steelers for Antonio Brown was close and it didn't happen. And I don't know when it's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen. We talked today on PFT Live about some of the different possibilities. And I think there are teams out there who are lurking, who are waiting for the market to drop, for the Steelers to ask for less for the Steelers to abandon their demand for a first-round pick for Antonio Brown. And I'm looking at Twitter as I say all this because the way the world is moving today, while I'm talking about this crap, something may have already happened. But as of right now, it looks like we're still waiting for Antonio Brown to be traded, and we just don't know where he's going to go or if he's going to go. And... I know there are some people who still believe that there's a chance he won't be traded. It's going to be hard work to put the toothpaste back in the tube. And I personally believe, here's my theory. I don't know this to be true. I haven't written about this yet at PFT. It's on my list of things to write about. I believe that Ben Roethlisberger has told the Steelers, get rid of Antonio Brown. It's him or it's me. And Roethlisberger clearly has the juice to pull that off. As Big Cat pointed out today when we were talking about it on PFT Live, he did that with Todd Haley, talking about retirement, retirement. I'm thinking about retiring, and then Todd Haley's gone. Now I'm going to play for five more years. So I think the Steelers want to move him because I think Ben Roethlisberger has said you'd better move him. And that's why the Steelers all of a sudden are letting 
a player dictate terms to them and letting Antonio Brown act like he's a free agent. A free agent with a no-trade clause who can say no to whatever trade offer the Steelers may get. Don't want to play for the Bills. Don't want to play for $13 million a year. I want to be the highest paid receiver in football. That's not a surprise to me, that report today. Of course he wants of course he wants to come out of this with a contract that he can hold up and say I'm the highest paid player in football. Highest paid receiver, that is. And then here's the problem. You make that commitment to him, he becomes the highest paid receiver in football, and then Tyreek Hill makes more. Does he want more money next year? That's a problem with Antonio Brown. He always wants more. He's had already two new contracts. Well, no, he's had four new contracts if you think about it. He got drafted in 2010. In 2012, he got his first long-term contract. He didn't like that after a few years. They started moving money forward from future years to give him a little bit more, a little bit more. Did that twice, and then came his big contract in 2017. And now he wants another one. And I think he's going to want another one within a year or two after this one, assuming he keeps playing at a high level. You know, we talked on PFT Live about whether or not the 49ers are going to get into this. I think they've chosen their words very carefully. When John Lynch says we haven't inquired about Antonio Brown, that doesn't mean they won't. Maybe they're just waiting for the price to drop, and then they'll get involved. It's kind of like Duke and Duke when they were selling the frozen concentrated orange juice. You wait for the right moment, and then you jump. That could be what the 49ers are thinking about. It wouldn't surprise me if teams that have leaked or said they're not interested become interested. Because what, what are we going to do? Oh, you said you're not interested. Well, you're, now you're interested. Shame on you. No. Circumstances change. We're playing poker here, folks. We're not interested when they want a first-round pick. Whenever they realize they're not going to get a first-round pick and maybe they're going to take a third-round pick, then we're going to get interested. It is amazing, though, to think that they got a third-round pick from Martavis Bryant last year, and they may not get a third-round pick for Antonio Brown. And then the question is, what is their floor and is there a floor? Is this all about doing the best possible deal, getting the best possible trade, acting like you want more than you do in order to get the best possible trade, and then moving on once you get the best offer on the table? Is that what this is about? Or is it a situation where they really do have a floor and below that floor, they will keep Antonio Brown? And you know what? I don't think they have a floor. Because I think if they had a floor, I think they would leak to someone what the floor is. And they would make it known that, you know what, if it's anything less than a second-round pick, we are not trading him. I think they're determined to trade him. And I think, again, getting back to my theory, don't know whether it's true, don't know whether there's anything to it, but I think it makes sense. I think... Ben Roethlisberger has made it clear to the Steelers, it's him or it's me. And of course, they're not going to leak that. They're not going to admit that. They're not going to tell anyone that because then you get nothing for him. They're trying to create a sense that, yeah, we're going to keep him. If we don't get what we want, I don't buy it. Don't buy it. Won't believe it. Think he's going to get traded. Sims and I have a bet that he's going to be traded before the roster bonus comes due on March 17. If it's before I get a steak dinner, at a fancy restaurant, not Ponderosa. I don't think they have Ponderosas anymore. And if you ever ate there, you would know why. All due respect. They're, if they're still around, there goes the sponsorship opportunity. Yeah, but you, you don't eat steak in a cafeteria setting. Nice restaurant. 
couple of drinks, appetizers, no Rocky Mountain oysters, medium rare steak for me. If he's traded by March 17, Sims pays. If he's traded after March 17, I pay. And you know what? I got to go to New York. We're having some sort of a meeting on March 21. Maybe on March 20 is when he pays up. We'll know the answer by then. Maybe that's what we do. Anyway, I think the Steelers are determined to move him. They're definitely determined to do it before the roster bonus becomes due. They asked Antonio Brown at one point to delay the due date of the roster bonus to give them a little more flexibility. They don't want that money to hit the cap. They don't that they don't want that two and a half million to bang hit the cap. They're trying to avoid that. I still think they're going to take the best deal they can get and move on. Remember the free agency negotiating window opens on Monday. And this has been a strange thing that the NFL started, I don't know, six, seven years ago, because it used to be tampering was rampant. And when free agency would start, and it used to start like at an obscure time, like at midnight on a Friday. Like they finally realized, you know what, we can we can slide around these these times and these days to maximize interest. It used to be midnight on a Friday. And within 15 minutes, somebody's got a deal in principle. 15 minutes, you're negotiating multi-million dollar deals in a matter of minutes. Or within 15 minutes, somebody's going to get on a plane and go visit a team when you're not allowed to talk about anything at all until the free agency period opens. The tampering was so rampant, the evidence of it was so obvious, they had to create this tampering window where you can have negotiations. And I remember for the first few years, it was clunky. Like, you weren't allowed to strike a tentative deal, but you could negotiate. You could exchange offers, you just weren't allowed to reach an agreement. Well, what happens if in the process of exchanging offers, you accidentally realize we have an agreement? That what I want falls within line of what they'll pay. Hey, we have an agreement. Oh, we better stop talking. We may not. We, we may reach an agreement here. So now you can reach an agreement. They just can't announce it. But usually what happens within 24 hours after the window opens, we start to hear what the agreements are. And you, you know how the tweets will go. Joe Blow currently intends to sign a contract with Team X at 4 p.m. Eastern on Wednesday when free agency opens. Those are, that, that'll be the reports. And, and, and the teams leak it, the players leak it, the agents leak it. It'll be everywhere. And it's non-binding until 4 p.m. Eastern comes and goes next Wednesday, and the name is put on the contract. The best example there, Frank Gore, was going to go to the Eagles. Remember that? Several years ago, the year they ended up signing DeMarco Murray and Ryan Matthews. They had a deal with Frank Gore, and Frank Gore backed out. And people get upset, teams get upset when you do it, but you have the right to do it, and the team has the right to do it too. It's easier for the player to do it than the team because if the team does it and it's a prominent agent that it happens to, it happens to his client, that agent starts messing with that team, starts steering guys away from that team. Agents have a lot of power here. I think Sims and I were talking about that, how much power they have when the time comes to say, hey, I'm not sending you any of my guys. I'm going to have my free agents go sign with someone else. They can ruin a GM if they want to. And plenty of them have threatened to do so. That's pretty much all the big stuff that's happening. Look, I thought maybe the Browns would do more today because it was 52 weeks ago today that they had that trade for Jarvis Landry, trade for Tyrod Taylor, trade for Demarius Randall. And it was late Friday afternoon, so maybe there's more coming. The Browns are a team I'd watch because they're trading Kevin Zeitler for Olivier Vernon. Maybe more is coming. And remember, there was some thought that the Browns may be trying to get themselves in position 
to trade for Odell Beckham Jr. And who knows? Maybe that's still in play. Rumors were strong the other day about Cleveland and about the Giants, and I don't think it was about Olivier Vernon. The Browns seem to be going all in, and wouldn't it be great if at a time when the Steelers are shipping Antonio Brown out of the division, the Browns are bringing Odell Beckham Jr. in. And and what if, ultimately, the Browns decide to make a move on Antonio Brown? What if the Browns are willing to give a first-round pick for Antonio Brown, and no one else is willing to come within two rounds of that? Do you just send him to... Uh, Cleveland? Is there a point where you do it? There have been division trades before. Guys have been traded within the same division. If you can get your one from the Browns, but from no one else, do you do it? And I really do think that there are teams out there that are just waiting for that price to come down and for the Steelers to maybe slide into a range where multiple teams will say, okay, we'll do it. But again, it is a difficult needle to thread because you have to have a deal with the Steelers, compensation that they will take. You have to have a team that Antonio Brown is willing to play for because no matter what they say, no matter how the Steelers spin it, they've essentially given Brown veto power over a trade. And finally... You have to have a deal in place that makes Antonio Brown the highest paid receiver in the NFL. And then you take on the risk that Antonio Brown a year from now is going to have another meltdown, whether it's contrived or whether it's organic. He's going to have another meltdown and he's going to want either more money from you or a new team because he was wrong in his assessment that your team was going to be good enough for him. And there's still that looming possibility, although I don't think it's very significant. The Steelers eventually say, hey, you know what, Antonio? You play for us or you play for no one. And if you don't play for us, you owe us $3.8 million every year that you don't play for us. Up to $11.4 million. Because that signing bonus you got in 2017 is not a lottery prize. It's advanced compensation for future services. All right, I'm going to answer some of your questions now. PFTPM Posse, how will the upcoming expiration of the CBA affect player contracts? How should players and teams structure contracts to account for the potential changes? I don't know that's going to affect player contracts all that much. I don't think much is going to change. I think that when the Players Association has their annual meeting, and it's coming up soon, they're going to be talking about preparing for a lockout in two years. I don't think they're getting locked out. I remember when... The 2006 CBA was negotiated. Was it 2006? And then did they do, they didn't, when did they do? I think they had like a couple of years after 2006 to choose to end it prematurely. And the owners opted out. The owners complained incessantly about the 2006 CBA. The thinking was, and it was the 2006. The thinking was that Paul Tagliabue gave up way too much stuff just because he wanted to retire. He didn't want to fight. He didn't want to have this thing looming. He was done. So he got a deal done with Gene Upshaw and the owners hated it. And you constantly heard that the owners hated it. And I think they started complaining about it like within a matter of a few months after The deal was done in March or thereabouts of 2006. And I haven't heard a single complaint from an owner about the 2011 CBA. What owners will say is it's working for both sides. You know what that means? That means we got a hell of a deal here. We're very happy with this deal. 
So the question becomes, will the players strike? And I think that's what's going to happen. I don't think they're going to strike. I think the ball is going to be in their court to strike. I think when the deal expires, if it gets to that point, and there is some motivation to try to get a deal done before we get to the point where the deal expires because they want to turn around and redo the TV deals. But I think that if we would have an expiration of the CBA after the 2020 season, I think the owners would just say, hey, we're fine continuing under the rules that are currently in place until we negotiate a new CBA, because that's what happens. The rules that have been negotiated stay in place. The owner's leverage, if they choose to use it, is to lock out the players. The player's leverage is to strike. And I think this time around, the owners would not lock out the players and dare the players to strike, knowing that they won't strike. So... Bottom line, I don't know what players and teams should do at this point to account for a potential change. Because I don't think much is going to change. The salary cap is going to keep going up. Look back at 2011. That was a significant change. What really changed? The salary cap did go down. And then it started to go up slowly. But it's going, going up $10 million a year, at least every year since 2013. I just don't think there's anything that needs to be done at this point because I don't think when the next CBA is done, the changes are going to be significant enough to justify making dramatic changes to the way you negotiate contracts now. Mike Tobacco, why doesn't the NFL put Bob Kraft on the commissioner's exempt list? Equal application of the NFL personal conduct policy should land him there. Well, Mike Tobacco, have you read the personal conduct policy? Because I'll read it to you. It's going to take me a minute here to pull it up. So I'll have to filibuster while I get myself properly logged in to the NFL communications website and the NFL policies are here. Here's the personal conduct policy. And now I'm scrolling to the point where the commissioner's exempt list is discussed. Leave with pay is what they call it. A player may be placed on may be placed on paid administrative leave pursuant to the commissioner exempt list under either of the following circumstances. First, when a player is formally charged with a crime of violence. Crime of violence. And it goes on to explain he's accused of having used physical force or a weapon to injure or threaten another person, having engaged in sexual assault by force or sexual assault of a person who was incapable of giving consent or having engaged in other conduct that poses a genuine danger to the safety or well-being of another person or of having engaged in animal abuse has to be charged with that. Second, when an investigation leads the commissioner to believe that a player may have violated this policy by committing any of the conduct identified above, that is, crime of violence with the various permutations mentioned. Bob Kraft isn't accused of committing any type of violence, nothing even close to violence, nothing that would get him put on the commissioner exempt list under any set of circumstances. And besides, it only applies to players. See, the commissioner exempt list is a device aimed at taking the heat out of a hot kitchen. The commissioner exempt list is put in place to overcome the presumption of innocence and to take a player off the field under circumstances where he has every right to do whatever he wants. He has every right to work. He has every right to be free. He's charged with a crime. He's out on bail, but we can't have him on TV. We can't be talking about 
Joe Blow because Joe Blow has pending charges of sexual assault. So he's on the commissioner exempt list because it would not be good for the Shield if he's being seen in these games and our broadcast partners have to mention that this may be Joe Blow's last game because he has a trial starting on Tuesday. That's why they do it. And I don't like it. I don't agree with it. I think it's unfair to the players. It's grossly unfair to the players. Because the players have every right to do anything that any free person has. This is our system of justice. They have every right to work. They have every right to play. They have every right to do anything until they are convicted. And they have a presumption of innocence. This is all a PR play by the NFL. And because the owners aren't on the field, it doesn't apply to them. Now, look, if this thing lingers into the season and Robert Kraft decides he's going to fight it tooth and nail and he's showing up at games, I don't know if the NFL is going to ask the broadcast partners not to have shots of him in the, in the owner's box, but it's not quite the same. And, and even then, it doesn't. he didn't engage. He, look, he didn't engage in anything that would justify the application of the commissioner exemplist. And, and think about this, and I don't want to in any way understate the gravity of the charges. But remember, you've seen the reports. To the extent that there was any human trafficking involved, the, the women who, who interacted with Kraft weren't victims of that. It was a 45-year-old and 58-year-old woman who were American citizens and licensed massage therapists. So it doesn't have that same, that same vibe that they tried to create when they, they, they announced this sting operation or, or whatever the appropriate word is. And they, they leveraged the celebrity of Robert Kraft into bringing attention to the human trafficking element. He's not even part of that. There's nothing here that would bring into question any negative stigma. And think about it this way. If this were a player who had done the exact same thing, what would the NFL do to the player? I mean, ask yourself that question. In comparison to the things that we have seen players get suspended for, Josh Brown suspended one game. And I remember reading that file, that whole file, hundreds of pages. He was accused of doing some pretty serious things that involved violence, intimidation, threats. What would you do to a player for this? And, and again, I'm not defending the conduct. I'm not defending any bad judgment that may have been exercised here. I am saying if this were a player, would it be even close to the middle of the radar screen from the standpoint of serious consequence from the league office? Now, the personal conduct policy says that non-players are held to a higher standard, so that raises the stakes a little bit. But, but remember, all we know at this point about Robert Kraft is a statement was issued that constituted a categorical denial. And he's hired multiple lawyers to fight this. And the NFL isn't going to do anything until it's resolved in court. And if he ends up being exonerated, what, what can the NFL do? What can you do? If he's fully exonerated, if that happens at some point, not pleading to a lesser charge, not essentially paying a, a parking ticket, Fully exonerated. If that happens, how's that any different than a player who would be fully exonerated? And a player who's fully exonerated, fully exonerated, 
for this kind of conduct, not violence, not d domestic abuse allegations like we saw with Ezekiel Elliott, Ray Rice, Kareem Hunt, fully exonerated of allegations that have nothing to do with any sort of violence. What would happen to a player? You know what would happen to a player? Nothing. It'd be, it would be, the, the investigation ends at that point. That's it. So, I, back to the original question. The commissioner exempt list is not in play here because there is no accusation of any kind of violence against Robert Kraft. Terry Gensler, could you see the Eagles signing Carlos Hyde and Tevin Coleman? Both of them? I don't know. I mean, we just talked earlier about the year that they signed DeMarco Murray and Ryan Matthews. I, I, I just wonder whether the, the Eagles are like a stealth team for Le'Veon Bell. I really, I really, I really wonder whether that's what's potentially going on. Brady wants to know the over-under, 1.5 Bennett brothers on the week one Patriots roster. Yeah, Martellus played for the Patriots for a little while. Won a Super Bowl with the Patriots. Now Michael Bennett joining the Patriots. I think it's under 1.5. I don't think Martellus comes out of retirement for this. I think he's done. Further seems five ever. Do you know what pain medication is offered to players in lieu of marijuana? Do you think offering opioid-based medications would lead to bigger problems? They have all sorts of prescription medication they use. We talk about Toradol all the time. It completely numbs your body to the point where you're susceptible to proprioception. That's a condition that Chris Sims dealt with after his spleen was removed, where your body moving in relation to the rest of the world is clunky and clumsy and you like it's like when you're going down the steps and you think there isn't another step but there is that feeling when you take that step and you think you're on the ground and you're not that kind of thing there are strong medications these guys take and that's one of the arguments for letting them just use marijuana if it helps their pain management Next question, Steph Boyardee. Have you ever had funny facial hair? Mr. Big Chest style, maybe. I, I've never had a mustache that I dyed blonde. I, I did have... Now, let me give you the context here. I went to a Catholic high school that prohibited facial hair. So after we graduated in 1983, all of the guys that could grow a mustache grew a mustache. And we all looked like shit. It was Cheese Fest 1983. It was laughable. And I had the cheesy mustache just like everyone else. And you know that you see those really cool mustaches like Tom Selleck, that big, thick, like a, like a, like a brush, right? Yeah, I no. Here's the problem. I have to shave. If I, like... I got up at 5.20 this morning and, and shaved before we did PFT Live. If I were going out to dinner tonight, I'd have to shave again. Like, I, I've got 11 hours later, I can feel the rough on my face. And by the if I didn't shave until Monday, I'd have that, that full-blown three-day beard. The problem is somewhere between three day, day three and day seven, it, it just, it's it like, it looks awful. Especially now that like 80% of it's gray. But I, I never could grow a decent beard. And I, I'd go like a week and then I'd say, oh my God, this is awful. I have to get rid of it. Same thing. And the mustache, we did the mustache. And that, that was my low point with facial hair. 1983, cheesy mustache. And I remember shaving it off. And at the moment I shaved it off, it's like, what the hell was I doing with that stupid ass mustache? So there's your answer. 
Never thought about dying at blonde, though. Maybe if I had died at blonde, it would have it would have worked even better. Sergio D, has anyone sought confirmation from the Steelers regarding Antonio Brown's assertion that Mike Tomlin let him go home before the Week 17 game because he was banged up? Sounds like BS to me. Well, it kind of meshes with what Tomlin said. He had some sort of a knee issue, or he claimed he had a knee issue, and Tomlin said, go home. Go get an MRI. And he didn't go get the MRI. Remember that? That was part of the explanation the Steelers gave. He just went home and didn't come back. On Wednesday, you know, I'm having an issue with my knee. All right, go get an MRI. He, he went home, he didn't get the MRI, and he just didn't come back. That's what happened. That's how the Steelers explained it. Now, the fact that Brown waited two months to put his story out there makes it harder to believe his story. I mean, the bottom line is he's in the wrong here. And I think the Steelers have responsibility for letting it get to the point that it did, where he was empowered to do these things. But Antonio Brown's ultimately in the wrong, and I'm not giving up a first-round pick. I'm not giving up a significant draft pick. I'm not giving up big money to Antonio Brown on the risk that he's going to act toward my team the way that he's acting toward the Steelers right now. Dean Osborne, 42, can you please try and get Bill Belichick on the show one day? I know he doesn't give many interviews, but you're a great interviewer who would get him to relax a bit by asking intelligent football questions. Bullshit, I'd be scared to death. I'd be like Chris Farley interviewing Paul McCartney. Are you kidding me? I, I had Tom Brady on a couple of days after the Patriots won Super Bowl 51, and I was scared to death then, although I think it went well. I don't remember much about it because I was scared to death. But, yeah, I, I, Bill Belichick scares the shit out of me. Now, I, I don't know. Maybe he doesn't. Maybe he doesn't. Maybe, maybe it would be fine. That's, I don't know. I, I assume that that's the way it would go. I know that there'd be a lot of questions I'd want to ask him that I wouldn't have the balls to ask him. At least I admit it. Like most people would say, oh, I'll ask him all the tough questions. Bullshit. I would probably not ask all the tough questions of Bill Belichick because one of the questions would be, hey, Bill, why? why? Help me understand what goes on at a Bill Belichick press conference. Why is it that for most of the time you've kind of got this I don't want to be here demeanor? But every once in a while, somebody will ask you some obscure historical football theory question and you'll talk for five minutes uninterrupted. How does that happen? I don't know how long it would take to get comfortable to the point where I could ask that kind of question. But that's a question I'd like to know the answer to. Bill Belichick doesn't play in the same sandbox the rest of us do. And I've said time and again, and this may be one of the reasons why he'd never let me interview him. You know, if you don't like having to deal with the media... Don't coach professional football because that's part of what you're getting paid all that money for, to be available, to give access, to cooperate with the jobs of the people who are in place to promote the league. The, the league has it great. There's an entire army of reporters from sea to shining sea who cover the NFL as part of their jobs, and it promotes the NFL in the process. It's free publicity for the NFL. Think about that. Think about any other business. If, if for some reason people wanted to know on a wide-scale basis about how refrigerators are built and what's happening at the refrigerator factory before they go out to work that day, while they're working, how the refrigerators are put together, and how they sell the refrigerators... Like, if there was intense interest in that to the point where newspapers, TV stations, radio stations would actually devote reporters to letting us all know how the refrigerator manufacturing process is going, 
think about what kind of free publicity that is for the people who are making the refrigerators. That's what the NFL enjoys. So there are people who get it. Look at look at the difference between Sean McVay and Bill Belichick. We had Sean McVay on set last week at the scouting combine, and he gave a very engaged, funny, self-aware interview to Sims and me. He's not afraid that anything he says will be used against him. But now, you know what? The fact that Belichick won't do it, it tells me that he has minions who are constantly looking for anything anyone says that can be used against them. That there's a very militaristic approach to football. And I think that's why Belichick tries to say the bare minimum. He wants nothing that he says to ever be used against him. Leapers 500. As you get older and see your child grow into a fine young man, are there things you wish you could talk to your own parents about? Advice on things we can all talk more about with our own focus. I'm not answering that question because I'll start crying. I'm sorry. I can't do it. Because I wish that my mom was still around. My mom would be 80. God, how old would she be right now? She would be 85 next month. April 18, she'd be 85. She was born 1934. She should still be around. She's been gone since 1995. And... You know, I, again, I said I wasn't going to talk about it, but I still think about that all the time, that she died a year and a half before my son was born. Now, my dad was 76 when he died in 1998. He was about 10, 12, 13 years older than my mom, but, you know, he'd be 97, 98 right now, so I still don't feel like I did. Like, I remember the first 10 years after he died, I thought, this really sucks that he's not here to be around, to, to, to see my kid, and to be mortified by the things I'm doing in this this life I'm leading by talking about football and having people, you know, call me an idiot for the things that I say and kind of be... My dad was very private and very discreet, and he'd be mortified by all this. My mom would be proud, and my dad would be beside himself. But, yeah, I yeah, I... I look, I... I know that it's never easy when your parent passes, no matter how old your parent lives to be. Your parent could live to be 188, and it would still hurt immensely when your parent passes. But man, I see people who are my age and older that still have their parents, and I I don't I don't like to preach to people, you know, to enjoy, just enjoy the fact, feel lucky, feel fortunate. I, I'm not resentful. I went through a period where I was resentful that. My mom was gone and, you know, I was only 30 and she was only 62 and, and, and I, I, I was, I was just jealous and resentful and envious of people who still had their parents. Like, why the hell did this happen to me? And why did this happen to my mom? And, you know, and then you see people who still had their parents and would treat them like shit from time to time. And it's like, man, you know, you don't, you know, anyway. So yeah, now I'm all upset. Thank you. Thanks. I don't mind answering questions like that from time to time. But, you know, what my son's 22, and yeah, look, I, there, there's a balance that we try to strike as we motivate our kids and let them live their lives, and how far do you go with a grown person who still has to develop and may not always want to hear what you have to say? How do you make them hear what you have to say? How do you guide them when maybe they don't want to be guided? You know, yeah, I'd like to know what my mom was thinking back when I was 21, 22, and I was headstrong and whatever they wanted me to do, I did the opposite. And I was going to live my own damn life and no one was going to tell me otherwise. And when I got 
my college degree and I came home and said I'm going to law school and both of my parents, they just didn't understand. Their idea of the American dream, because they were first-generation Italians whose parents had come over from Italy, their idea of the American dream was assimilation. And in their mind, they hadn't gone to college. I went to college. I went to college. I got a degree. And they can't even comprehend the process of advanced degrees. In their mind, uh, lawyers are a dime a dozen. You don't want to be a lawyer. You've got an engineering degree. Go get a job. Go buy a house and assimilate. Get a job, get a house, get married, get a car, and, and stay at that job for 40 years. That was their idea. And, and they didn't know any better because they were the children of immigrants and they didn't go to college. But I'd like to know how they dealt with me when my attitude was, I don't care what you tell me to do, I'm doing what I want to do. And even though they didn't have, see, the difference is I've got the experience that's kind of similar to what my son will be experiencing. So I feel like maybe I could guide him better than they could guide me. They did the best with what they had, with their own perspective, and with their own understanding of the way the world worked and their own view on the way the world should work. I mean, their view was buy a house, get a mortgage, get a car, get married, have kids, and, and you know, just lather, rinse, repeat. But yeah, I mean, it would be useful. It would be useful at times. Especially my mom. My dad, I don't know. I would have had to pry it out of him. But my mom, I wouldn't have to pry it out of her. She she would tell me, unsolicited, exactly what I need to be doing differently when it comes to raising my child, even though my child is 22. Tom G. Post, uh, you have one child whom you clearly care about immensely. How would you have felt about having a second, particularly now that you relive many of your early parenting moments with with, I don't know what that, that is. The dog? Oh, uh, yeah, look, you know, we have one child. Would we like to have had more? Sure, but that, that's how the world works. You, you know, you, you, I'm glad we have one, and we have a dog, and I'd like to have a second dog. So the thing about having a dog, the dog never changes. I mean, the dog's going to get old and die, and I don't like thinking about that, but, like, the dog is the dog. A kid goes through 50 different phases and cycles and shapes and sizes, and sometimes you have control and a lot of times you don't. And sometimes they don't want anything to do with you. With a dog, it's kind of nice. Dog never sasses you back. Although, I mean, my dog, like, my, my dog, and I got to go, I got a meeting at 4.30, but my dog likes to basically pretend she's attacking me. She likes to bark and snarl at me while her tail is wagging. She will bark and snarl and lunge at me as if she's attacking me, but she never bites me. Now, every once in a while, she accidentally will nip me, and I'll say, oh, you bit me, and she takes off running because she knows there's a line she can't cross. But she likes to get in my face and bark, and, you know, the teeth are bared, and she wants to – she'll – like, I'll go down like in, you know, like the basketball stance when you're playing defense and you slap the floor, I'll get down like that. And she will get up on her hind legs and, and do the same thing and then lunge at me. And, she, and it disturbs my wife because she thinks that the dog is in the process of trying to kill me. But that's what the dog does. And she loves it. Once a day, she'll do that. And then, like, if I disengage from her, walk away... Sometimes you got to like hold her head down a little bit to get her to submit. You got to do the alpha male thing. Then she's fine. It's like it never even happened. So they do talk. She does talk back. And one of these days she probably is going to like 
bite a chunk out of my arm. But uh, other than that, the dog is always the same. All right, let's try to jam in another question or two here. Who would you rather represent as an agent, OBJ or AB? I'd rather represent OBJ. Uh, Antonio Brown, I think, I don't think he's necessarily listening to the advice that he's getting. And I think OBJ is listening to the advice. Leapers 500 was over an oh shit moment when you left the big law firm and hung up your own shingle. If so, did crossing that challenge help when you retired from the law and made PFT your main vocation instead of an avocation? I still remember, and it was 19 years ago, March 1, when I started my own practice. I remember the the building that I was practicing in. It, it you know wasn't I didn't have a whole lot of money to do it. I didn't want to go into deep debt. I think I took out a $20,000 line of credit. And I was renting a place. I, I had that place for about a year. And the back end of it was not all that nice. And the neighborhood it was in was not all that nice. And there would be a, a, a faint smell or stronger of cat urine. And it seemed to always happen on the days when I had meetings at the office, which was just a great way to make a, a fine impression with people. But I remember one day in particular where I, I pulled into the parking lot, the one car parking lot behind the building. And I looked up at the back of that building and I thought, what the? have I done and then it passed it's like you know what I don't care what I've done I'm doing this but uh, yeah I did, that was early early on uh, and and uh, but there was no going back at that point I, I wasn't going to go back to the firm that I had worked for there wasn't anything else that I was skilled to do so I just trudged ahead but you know I did that for nine years and I, I, I think from time to time about what that life was like fighting all the time in a litigation practice, constantly, you know, as you get ready for a trial, constantly thinking about a case, constantly thinking about it, every waking moment, thinking, thinking, thinking. And uh, I don't miss that at all. By the way, I neglected, before I started answering questions, to remind you that if you're doing a repair that needs a special tool, O'Reilly Auto Parts makes it easy with our loaner tool program. Over 80 specialized loaner tools available we're sure to have a tool in stock to help you get the job done. Purchase the needed parts and put down a deposit on the loaner tool. Return the tool in the original condition and you will receive a full refund. O'Reilly Auto Parts, better parts, better prices every day. God, I almost forgot to do that. Anyway, the doorbell is going to ring here any minute now. And uh, I'll just keep going until the doorbell rings. Let's see what other questions we may have here that I can get to. Tanner Mickelson, do the Vikings re-sign Anthony Barr or go after someone in the draft? It's going to be expensive to keep Barr, but you know what's going to happen. He's going to have that 48-hour window where he can find out what's out there or what's not out there, and maybe whatever the Vikings are willing to pay him is more than what's out there. I remember the first time they signed Everson Griffin to a second contract. It happened during that 48-hour window, so that could happen. 321J Chris, I like when Big Cat is on PFT Live, but why isn't PFT Commenter ever on? Is he too real for TV? We've had them both on from time to time, but the way it's worked out, that and, and look, they're both busy, they got things to do, and we, we, we just, you know, Big Cat does it once a week, and maybe one of these days we'll have PFT Commenter once a week, but it just, it's just kind of the way it happened. And I, the, the rhythm now is four times a week with Chris Sims, one time a week with Big Cat. And I think during football season, Peter King will be on again once a week. And so that means that there'll be, for that Big Cat day, it'll be a three-man weave, which is kind of fun. It's kind of stressful, but it's also kind of fun. All right, let's see what else we have going on here. 
on tour forever. If Ryan Tannehill ends up in Cincinnati, where do you see Andy Dalton going? I have no idea. I mean, if if they go with Tannehill over Dalton, and there is a connection between Zach Taylor and Ryan Tannehill because Zach Taylor is the son-in-law of Mike Sherman. He's the guy who coached Ryan Tannehill at Texas A&M when he switched from receiver to quarterback. Sherman was the offensive coordinator in Miami early in Tannehill's career. I think at that point, Dalton just goes into the, you know, perpetual backup quarterback mode. But I have a feeling they're going to keep Dalton for at least a year. See what else we have here. On tour forever, Krispy Kreme or Dunkin' Donuts or some other brand. I really don't enjoy donuts anymore. I really don't. I rarely eat donuts because they're so freaking bad for you. I just don't let myself enjoy them because if I did, I would eat them all the time. They aren't so good that it's worth knowing that you are just polluting your body with all sorts of stuff you don't need. And I've made that argument before to stats he said you smoke cigars regularly i smoke two a week and i don't know i just and i enjoy that it's relaxation for me there's nothing relaxing about eating a donut and it goes too fast at least a cigar lasts a half hour or 45 minutes donut like i'll eat it in one bite tyler furness will we start to see more player for player trades i don't know we haven't seen have we seen many so far we saw zeitler for vernon I think that we have seen more in recent years because the cap charge that comes from trading a player, trading that contract, the acceleration you have to take, teams can deal with it better now than before because there isn't that same that same level of cap purgatory that we used to see. Terry Gensler, important question. Perfectly medium rare New York strip or well done bone-in filet mignon? I ain't doing well done. I'm sorry, I'm not doing well done. I had a medium rare New York strip the other night and it was great. And from now on, I am ordering my steaks medium rare. And I understand. I think I think somebody, I think it was Leapers 500 that said it depends on the cut. And I agree with that. Because you can, you can go over with a ribeye. You can do a well-done ribeye that is perfectly fine because it's so well marbled that it's still moist. And, and we get these ribeyes at the local grocery store that, that are great. But, but they cook so fast sometimes like you take them off and you cut them and they're they're red in the middle but you know they still keep cooking and before you know it they're pink in the middle and before you know it the ones that come off pink in the middle are brown in the middle but they're still really good i'm getting hungry now just thinking about it but you know what it's lent and you know what we don't do on fridays in lent we don't eat meat which is kind of like chick-fil-a on sunday it makes me want it more Terry Gensler, 14. In my opinion, Barstool Big Cat's performance on PFT Live was his best yet. Do you agree? I think he's good every time. I, I don't I don't know that it was his best. And I'm not really assessing him because I'm always trying to dodge and parry with him. And he, he messes with me. And he knows he's messing with me. And he's got this thing about, like, putting me in checkmate and dominating me. And I think it's just shtick because as soon as you go to break, he's like, oh, yeah, that was a really good point you had. But I, I'm never going to say that on the air. Gee, thanks a lot, asshole. But, hey, look, he wouldn't be on if I didn't like him. I don't control many things, but if, if I didn't like him, if I didn't like Sims, those guys would have never been on the inside. And Big Cat is a guy that I specifically wanted because he's just, he, I like him. I think he's funny. I like PFT Commenter as well. So I'm not choosing sides here, but Big Cat's a guy that, that uh, I've always, I, I think that, that he and I click well. Um, although he does make me nervous because I never know what the hell he's going to say. And Sims, obviously... When, when uh, the opportunity came to get him full-time, I, I was on board with it. I was banging the drum. Early on, there were some questions about, well, we, do we have enough for him to do? Well, make stuff for him to do. And, and uh, 
I, I, I just, I, I enjoy, I enjoy working with them. I think we complement each other well. I think our personalities mesh well. And I think that we rub off on each other a little bit. And I also think that when we interview somebody, it's a good combination. And at the Super Bowl, if you saw the day that Big Cat was there, between the three of us, we all have three different styles. And they come together, I think, very well. And they get the person who's being interviewed relaxed and calm. And, and it just makes for a good, it makes for a good flow. And we get some good information, but they're also relaxed. And they don't feel like we're trying to screw them, but we get them to say good things. I should probably wrap this up. I need to figure out where my 4.30 is. I don't know. I have yet to... Let me check here. No uh, no email, no text. I don't know. Let's keep going here. Will David Irving end up in the XFL is the question from Terry Gensler. Look, I, David Irving, he's given up on football. He was smoking a blunt on Instagram Live. And look, that's the problem with the substance abuse policy. It forces guys to choose marijuana or football, one or the other. Irving is choosing football. No. Sorry, Irving is choosing marijuana. He's consciously doing it. I don't like the fact that the NFL cares about what guys do on their own time if it doesn't hurt anyone, especially since there may be some medicinal benefits to smoking marijuana. I think the NFL is going to try to find a way. I know this. They're going to try to find a way as part of the next CBA to dramatically back off of the prohibition against marijuana. It's just a shame that there are talented players who cannot, cannot make that choice and have to make that choice, and shouldn't have to make that choice between marijuana and football. All right, let's see what else we have here. Were you low-key mad that Rap Sheet was wrong and Morty was right? I don't know that Morty was... You t- I don't know that what Chris Mortensen reported is, is about the Bills. I don't know. I wasn't low-key. I don't care who's right or who's wrong. I really don't. I don't, I don't choose sides there. I kind of like it when someone other than me is wrong, though. I definitely, I definitely like that. Because we're all going to be wrong from time to time. We're all going to take our lumps. And all you can do is take your lumps and move on. And, and you learn from it. You try to not be... Well, you try to be more careful the next time around. And you just have to accept the fact. If you are constantly generating content, constantly reporting information, constantly putting stuff out there, eventually you're going to get to the point where... You're going to say something that's incorrect. You're going to you're going to make a mistake. And oh, by the way, on the way out the door, I just noticed that the Dolphins have released Danny Amendola. I think we expected that one. And when we interviewed him at the Super Bowl, I got the impression he's already eyeballing joining the Jets. So maybe he'll continue his tour of the AFC East from Patriots to Dolphins and now maybe to the Jets and reuniting with Adam Gase, the guy who got him to leave New England last year all right that's it for today we will be doing pftpms as often as we can next week i i we got to see how much news is going on because i hate to unplug for an hour every day especially because by the time we get this thing posted things may have changed but uh we'll, we'll map it out we'll definitely do one monday maybe tuesday Wednesday is going to be a little bit hard because the new league year begins at 4 p.m. Eastern. But Tuesday we got to do because that's when Sims will be on. Either way, we'll, there'll be more than one next week. Let's say there will be at least three, maybe more. But uh, as we get deeper into the offseason, expect three a week, maybe four, maybe five, depending upon guests, depending upon whatever else may be going on. Regardless, we appreciate the ongoing support of the PFTPM podcast. Check us out Monday on PFT Live and all weekend long. I'm going to be locked in all weekend at PFT, and we're going to get you ready to go for the looming start of free agency. Thanks for your support, and we'll talk soon. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? 
also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.